y'all can be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We continue in our uh, trek through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I'm Steve Harden. I'm your executive director here. If, you, if we've not met, uh, Shane is taking a well-deserved break. Uh, refresh his soul today. And so I know you'll be... Uh, supportive and, and uh, thinking about him as he takes a day off. Happy 4th of July weekend to you. I'm glad you're here and I trust that it'll be a really super day, super weekend for you. All right, Matthew chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word. The theme of the scriptures is the gospel, the good news. That God so loved the world that he gave his son to redeem us and also to redeem the world. That which is broken, he has come to heal and restore. We find in scriptures that within this one grand thought, this one grand theme that goes from Genesis to Revelation, within this one grand theme that there are many subplots and many sub-themes, all feeding into this most comprehensive and beautiful theme. Like a beautiful vocal performance is supported by instrumentation. So the gospel, the good news, is the vocal performance. And everything else feeds into that one theme. The subplots never stand alone, but they're always seen in light of this overarching story. So where I'm going with this is that for some of us, it may come as a surprise that one of the main subplots of the scripture that feeds into the gospel theme or major plot is the Bible's emphasis on money and possessions. It's one of the main subplots. Let me give you some examples. I think every time I preach about money and possessions, I have to share with you some of these because I think it's so interesting and telling. Did you know that the Bible devotes twice as many verses to money as it does to faith and prayer combined. Is that kind of surprising to you? It was to me, 
right? 15% of Jesus' recorded words were about money and possessions. There are more recorded words of Jesus about money and possessions than there is about heaven and hell. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses is about money and possessions. And finally, one of every three of the parables are about money. So it's not something that we should ignore. Because it's a major theme. The obvious question then, to me at least, is why? Why would you devote so much money, so much time to money and possessions? I mean, I'd really like to hear a lot more about prayer or faith or those kind of things. But there is a reason, and I think it's because we are so tempted to find our happiness and our fulfillment and our contentment and our security in money possessions rather than looking to Him for all those things. Or when we are discontent and, and uh, not finding our happiness, oftentimes it comes back to the fact that we're looking to money and possessions rather than to our Father. I think that's the reason he knew that we would struggle so much with it that he gave us a lot of material. We tend to look to money to do what only God can do for the fulfillment that only God can give. My friends, and none of us are immune to that siren call. I don't care if you're relatively wealthy or living in poverty. We all tend, we have that temptation to look to the created thing instead of the creator for our happiness and fulfillment. Now, here in the Sermon on the Mount, in our passage this morning, we find a really comprehensive yet really condensed teaching about money and possessions. We are nowhere near going to to plumb the depths on this this morning, but we'll touch on some of the highlights, I hope. So, as any preacher that almost ever preached, here's three, three points that I want you to know. All right? You know, it really bothers me that I have three. This is not in the sermon, but it really bothers me because, you know, I think every text can't have three points. <laughs> and yet, that's what we do. We just say, oh, here's three. So... I'll follow in line and be submissive to the traditions of old. <laughs> what you do now matters forever. What you do now matters forever. Secondly, generosity is a sign of spiritual health. And thirdly, you will serve only one master. And I trust you'll hear those again if you didn't get it down. All right. What you do now matters forever. Verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so the subject is treasure here in this portion. 
Jesus says, guys, you got a choice to make. And it's very clear. I mean, there's not a lot of nuance on this. Okay? A lot of times when we don't want to deal with something, we'll say, well, that's a nuanced thing. But no, there's not a lot of nuance here. Right? He says, you can either lay up for yourself treasure on earth, or you can lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Here's your choices. This is important because he's very, very clear and says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's kind of important. Where your heart is, right? The things that you treasure will govern your life. What you treasure will be reflected in your goals, in your priorities, in your relationships, everything that you do. The things that are most important to you, that you'll run after. So where your treasure is, is extremely important. What is it that you must have? Or there's not going to be any happiness. There's not going to be any contentment. There's not going to be any peace. That's where your treasure is. What is it that you count as your treasure? Laying up for yourself treasures on earth is really a bad choice. It suggests three different ways. Three different reasons. First of all, laying up for yourselves treasure on earth is a temporary thing. I need to break it to you, you're dying. All of us are dying from the very first breath that we took. The odds are really good. Everything in this life regarding the treasures of earth, we're going to leave behind. There's a story written uh, many, many years ago about a man who, a dad, who was playing Monopoly with his kids. And you may have heard the story. It's been around a long time, but it's one of my favorites because, because they were having fun around the table and, of course, you trash talk, right? When you're playing games with your family and you're wooting, wooting. And, and um, he started winning. He started getting more houses and more hotels and so his trash talking got a little bit out of hand and so when he finally won it was late at night and his family said you won you put the game away so they all went to bed and he was sitting here looking at his at his uh, monopoly games he was looking at his houses and his lands and his his uh, homes and his hotels and all those things And you know what? He really didn't want to put it back in the box. Because then it was all gone, right? None of it mattered anymore. And he thought, what a metaphor for life. We spend so much time trying to put together a portfolio, if you will, or buying homes or hotels, if you're able, whatever. But at the end of the day, we all put it back in the box. So the treasures of the earth are temporary. John D. Rockefeller's accountant said when he died, he says, how, he was asked, how much did he leave? And the accountant wisely said, all of it. We all leave it all behind. So first of all, temporary. Secondly, it really doesn't bring happiness. Now we think that, 
our treasures on earth is going to bring happiness, but it really doesn't. Um, according to the most wealthy, let me give you a few sayings about happiness and wealth. Again, John D. Rockefeller, one of the uh, wealthiest men of his time, he says, I've made many millions, but they've brought me no happiness. Uh, Vanderbilt said the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor, an early wealthy man who made his wealth in furs, he says, I am the most miserable man on earth. Henry Ford said, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. And probably the wealthiest one of all was King Solomon. And all you have to do is read the book of Ecclesiastes to see money, possessions, will not bring you happiness. So it's temporary. It won't bring happiness. But it destines you for perpetual insecurity. Whatever you have, you're going to be afraid that you're going to lose it. Do I hear an amen? amen? Yeah? It's just the way it is. When your treasure is stored on earth, you're always going to be worried about it. Jesus said, where moth and rust destroy. Now, it's interesting because moth and rust destroy. Uh, back in his day, the way you stored your wealth, you either wore it in your clothes, very expensive clothing, or you stored it uh, with food and uh, grain, storehouses of food and grain. That's just how they stored their wealth. Well, the rich would often weave gold threads into their garments. One, because they're a little bit arrogant, I guess, but also because it's a way to carry it with them and have it with them. But their clothes were made of wool. Y'all know what happens to wool when moths get to it? It destroys it. It was their storage place of wealth, and yet it destroyed. Um, and rust, the, the, they, the storehouse, storehouses of food and of uh, grain. Well, uh, the greatest threat to stored grain from an old farmer is vermin, mice, and rats. They are the ones that eat away that wealth. Rust literally means to eat away. And then he says, thieves break in and steal. I love this because uh, the literal word for break in is the word to dig through. Their houses, they didn't have bricks and aluminum siding. They made it out of baked clay. And so literally, if you wanted to steal from someone, you just dug through their wall. So we're moth and rust destroy, we're thieves break in and steal. In our day, you may say the stock market goes up and it goes down, right? There's really no safe place for earthly treasures. People will try to convince you that, yeah, this is a safe haven. Well, not always. If your treasure is earthbound, it's always temporary. You're not going to find happiness in it. And you'll never be free from worry of losing it. But what about treasures in heaven? How do you lay up treasures in heaven? That's kind of a strange statement, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, it's easy to get in a ballpark. 
But really, what does it mean about laying up your treasures in heaven? Well, first, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you can't have a savings account. It doesn't mean that you can't buy a house. It doesn't mean that you can't invest for the future. But I think his point is, is that you don't hoard wealth just to hoard wealth. Just so that you'll have a little bit more wealth. Do you see the difference? He doesn't denounce having things, but he really does denounce things having you. That's the difference. You ever notice that the more things you have, the more things are broken at one time? You ever felt owned by your possessions? I think that's kind of what he's talking about. So that's not what storing your treasures in heaven. But I think broadly speaking, when he says your treasuries in heaven or your treasures in heaven is everything that you can take to heaven after you die. I mean, that kind of a simple definition, right? If treasures on earth are the things here, then treasures in heaven. I love what Randy Alcorn says. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Don't you like that? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. There is coming a day when all men will stand before God to be judged. For those who are not rightly related to Jesus, it's a judgment of condemnation. It's a sentence of hell where there is suffering and an existence without the presence of God and without the common grace that all men experience on this earth. But for Jesus' followers, it will be very, very different. In that day, when we stand before God to be judged, we're going to say we're with Him. That's all. We're with Jesus. We're here because He's told me that I could come. And He'll say, welcome in. I'm with Him. As a follower of Jesus, hear me, you will never be judged for your sin. Period. And that's Cause for dancing in the streets. No sin that I've ever committed will I be judged for. That is phenomenal. Because you know what? I'm guilty of sin. So are you. But the punishment that is due my sin has already been paid. And in heaven there's no double jeopardy. If Jesus paid for my sin, then I'm not going to pay for my sin. That's a beautiful thing. Okay? So we're not talking about sin. Please hear me. Nod your head like this. Not talking about sin when we're talking about believers being judged. That's not what we're talking about. But the Bible does teach that there is a judgment for believers. It's more of an assessment. More of an evaluation of how well we've stirred his resources. We will stand, you will stand, and I will stand before Jesus, not regarding my sin, but in regards to my work. Not because my work gained me salvation. And I feel like I always have to make that caveat. But what did you do with the resources that God gave you? You will be rewarded for how well you steward the resources that he gave you. And everyone is given different resources. You know, remember a parable about the talents, 10, 5, and 1, right? But you will be rewarded. Let me read a couple of texts. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. 
Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then, listen, then each one will receive his commendation from God. We're going to be commendated? He will commend us. Revelation 14, 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. And then the Spirit says, Blessed indeed that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. So what you do now matters forever. Everyone is given Resources to steward your time, your energy, your talents, as well as your money and possessions. Everyone's experience in heaven won't be the same. It'll all be good. It'll all be wonderful. We'll all have blessed happiness and peace forever and ever and ever, but it's not going to be the same. Some will have greater rewards than others. And it's all based on how we lived While on this earth. And what's more. What's even kind of really good. We won't have sin natures in heaven. So I won't be jealous. Because you're rewarded more than I am. Isn't that great? My happiness will be enhanced. Because you're more happy than I am. Isn't that cool? I don't know what these rewards will be. Honestly. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But I have a guess, and I have a guess because John Bunyan, the 16th, 17th century um, Baptist pastor, said this, and I kind of like him. So he thinks that it's a greater capacity for happiness and joy. That will be the reward. Listen, I'm going to paraphrase something that he wrote. He says, he that does the most for God in this world will enjoy him the most in the world to come. Because by doing and acting, the heart and every faculty of the soul is enlarged and has greater capacity and more room is made for the glory of God. Every vessel of glory will be full in that day. Okay? Every vessel will be full in that day, but everyone will not have the same capacity. He that is closest to God on earth is the one who will best be able to enjoy him in the kingdom of heaven. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Don't set your hope and your security in earthly riches because you're going to have to put them back in the box. Do good in every area of life, investing for a future day. And that means your time and your money. Be rich in good works, kind deeds. Invest in that which is good and right and helpful. Randy Alcorn again, he says, God keeps an account open for us in heaven and every gift given for his glory is a deposit in that account. And then he asks, are you making regular deposits? What you do now matters forever. Okay, but secondly, generosity is a sign of spiritual health. Generosity is is a sign of spiritual health. The eye, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. I've got to admit to you that when I first started looking at this, I had no idea what he was talking about. This is a passage on money and possessions. Very clearly, because before and afterward. But then he starts talking about eyes and health and darkness and what are you talking about it wasn't until i saw that jesus was using a cultural idiom in ancient israel the idea of having a healthy eye was a reference to someone who was generous they had a healthy eye they were a generous person and the person who hoarded his possessions and was not willing to share was full of darkness. Then everything came into to focus for me. He's teaching us about the importance of generosity. Now, one of my favorite texts about uh, generosity is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, beginning in verse 6. Now, this is a passage where Paul is writing to the Corinthians because they had agreed to give a, an offering a gift to the saints in Jerusalem who were experiencing a hard time. And he sent this letter to them because they had agreed a long time ago, maybe even a year or so ago, that they were going to send this gift. And he was coming for that gift. And there were people who were coming with him that knew that they were going to give the gift. And he says, you know, you don't want to really embarrass me or yourselves by not being ready, by not doing what you said. Okay? So you need to be ready. This is what he said. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is the verse we're coming back to. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Very simply, he says, you are given your money and possessions for two reasons. The first reason is, is bread for food. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. He provides for our needs, everything we need to sustain us, food, clothing, housing. Okay, He gives us some for that, but he also gives us seed for sowing. He provides for us resources for us to give away to others. To give away. It's a general principle that the the resources that God has given to you, not all of them are to spend on yourself. It's just really kind of plain and simple. He gives you some bread for food and um, some seed for sowing. And you're not supposed to spend them all on yourself. 
The instruction is to spend what you need to provide for yourself, but then to be generous with all that that remains. My favorite example of that is be God's FedEx man. It's really simple. When you have a package that you want to send to someone that you love, or just someone, right? You don't have to love them. If, if you have a gift to send and you give it to the FedEx man, do you expect him to keep it? Well, no, you don't. It's not his job. I give him the gift, or the, I give him the package, and then that package, he is responsible for getting it to the person that I meant to give it to. So in some ways, that's just who we are. We're God's FedEx man. There's some of our resources that he gives to us, not so that we can take it home and open it up ourselves, but so that we can get it to the person that he needs for us to get it to. Be generous. Proverbs eleven twenty four says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China, uh, for 51 years, he said, The less I spent on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. So do you give or are you generous? So what you do now matters forever. Secondly, generosity is a sign of spiritual health. And thirdly, God owns it all. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is a simple statement of fact. He just says, look, you know that you cannot serve God and money. You can't have two masters. He didn't say you can't have two employers, right? He says you can't have two masters. Think about in Jesus' day as a metaphor relating to a master and his slave. A slave in Jesus' day was owned by his master. He didn't have any free time. He didn't have anything that was his own. Everything he was and had was the master's. And then Jesus says, you know that if he owns everything, there can be no second master. It's just plain and simple. A master in that situation owns the slave. By right of creation, the whole world belongs to God. He created it. It's his. He owns it all. He is the master of all. He has given us the responsibility to steward it well. But don't pretend that it's yours. Because it's not yours. It's God's. And He has called us to be His stewards. Now, that's not a word we use a lot anymore. But a steward is simply one who is entrusted with someone else's wealth or property and charged with managing it for the owner's best interest. Let me say that again. A steward is entrusted with someone else's wealth or property and is charged with managing it 
toward the owner's best interest. An owner and a steward are very different roles. He owns the resources. I manage his resources. Now, in terms of finances and possessions, I'm God's asset manager. I'm his steward. I take care of what he has. And he gives me great freedom in the management of his resources. I can manage it and and steward it. But the goal is always the same, to increase the owner's good. God expects us to use the resources that he's entrusted to us to the best of our ability to advance the kingdom of God. Remember, you're steward, you're not an owner. And that kind of changes our spending decisions, investing decisions, whether it's your time, energy, or money and possessions. It's not mine. It's his. And he's given it to me, some for food, and some to bless others. I love a story when... um, a man rode up to John Wesley on a horse and, and he was hysterical. And he says, John Wesley, your house has just burned down. Everything that you own that was in that house has been destroyed. And, and Wesley weighed the news and he calmly replied, no, the Lord's house burned down. That means I have one less responsibility. Isn't that great? Don't you? Isn't there something about that that makes you long for that kind of relationship with the things that you have? It's not mine. I just have one less responsibility. He wasn't in denial. It wasn't that he was pretending to be spiritual. He just affirmed what was true. It was God's house. So as we, we close it up today, I'm reminded again, anytime a preacher says in summary, it means nothing at all, right? Um, I can imagine some of you all thinking, man, this is hard, Steve. Really? God owns it all. Don't lay yourself up treasure for heaven. Temporary? What? This hard, hard things. Because, frankly, I have to wrestle a little bit with it as well. But I want to just close out with one more thought. Matthew thirteen forty four, And I hope it will encourage you. There's a parable of our Lord, and he said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus is the treasure. A right relationship with Jesus is that treasure hidden in the field. To obtain that great treasure will cost you everything that you have. To obtain eternal life means that you give all that you are to all that you know of Him. You give it all away. All of your rights. All of the things that you think that you deserve. Your rights to your money, your possessions, your relationships, your thoughts, your motives, everything. You give all that you are to all that you know that He is. 
Another way to say it is that you bow your knee before King Jesus. And you submit yourself to Him and His will and His purpose. But what I want you to see, why I told you this story, is that just like the man who found the treasure in the field, do you remember what he said? Is for the joy set before him. It was no sacrifice. It was no hardship for him to sell all that he had for this one great treasure. You see, if Jesus gave you every wealth, every possession in the world, but he didn't give you himself, he only gives you second best. It, it would, he would only have given you second best. The second best gift that he could give you. The very best gift is a relationship with him. The treasure hidden in the field. The man goes and sells all that he has with joy. God wants you to be joyful. And in that joy, you'll Receive everything. Let's pray.